everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Vodka Thought Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Love, from AmberUnmasked.com. The show and the site are supported by Patreon backers. You can be one at patreon.com slash amberunmasked, where you get uh, reviews, some behind the scenes, and you get the weekly cat stories before anyone else. So joining me today, I am so excited to have my friend back on the show. Erica Schultz is here. Hi. So the last time you were here, uh, we were talking about um, 12 Devils Dancing. Yes. So now we're going to, you know, and of course, we always spend like half the time talking about cats. So, <laughs> um, so in, in any particular order, we I guess we can talk about comics first and entertainment and how we're doing, because we are recording this um, during the quarantine crisis. So yes. we are, you know... We're both uh, in new, opposite ends of New Jersey. <laughs> yes, although we we are we are still in the Jersey love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And thank goodness Chris Christie is not the one in charge right now. <laughs> you know, everybody's. I mean, honestly, people are giving Murphy a lot of hell, but I no. would rather be a lot more cautious, like he is being, than um, being sort of like, "Woo, everything's cool, everybody." Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm I'm grateful for that and that he's cooperating with yes. the other governors, whereas we would have had somebody who just wouldn't cooperate with anybody. So yeah, so um, glad he's out. Yes, it's a relief. Um, <laughs> so joining me today, besides Erica, um, Oliver and Gus are both here. As, <gasps> Hi, um, babies. Yeah, so they are both totally zonked out, which is. Interesting, because they were running around like complete lunatics, and um, and Gus has been humping Ollie so much. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're both fixed. I mean, you know that doesn't gay. that doesn't yeah. mean anything though, because we no, had when we had Michelangelo, he had been fixed, but he had been fixed when he was already an adult, and. He used to hump the couch whenever, like, he loved Halle Berry. So, like, I, I don't remember whether it was, like, L'Oreal or Revlon, but whatever commercial she was on, he would start humping the couch. And then he started humping my leg. And AJ oh, no. was like, no. If you, if you want to do, if we are a pride, then I am the alpha and you yeah. are not humping her leg. But oh, it, was, my God. it was gross because, because he was fixed late, there was... Uh, remnants at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nasty. Well, Gus has a sex doll. He has, um, <laughs> and this is something I learned with my last black cat, who also would hump everything. So, um, so Gus has this. We couldn't find a cat, so Joe found a, a lamb, and so he humps <laughs> he humps Lambdo Calrissian because I figured that would be cool. Um. And yeah, so that his lamb has basically been flattened. I mean, it started as a, you know, a nice stuffed toy, but he's, after all these years, pretty oh, squished. Um, so it's funny. So when he starts going after Oliver, I'm just like, no, no, go back to your lamb. And he does. <coughs> and he knows, and he makes a certain, his certain horny cry. Like it's a, <laughs> very different than pay attention to me cry. Um. And I'll just be like, no, no, your lamb's over there. And he'll go get it. And um, Poor Oliver, though. Oh, poor uh, little guy. Yeah. 
But what can you do? I mean, as much as they, as we love them and we, we add personalities because they have personalities, they, they are not as cognizant of things as humans, or maybe they are, maybe they're like way smarter than we are. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you're kind of like, dude, really? You don't do that in public. It's yeah. And it's just like, you know, Ollie is not a willing participant. Yes. (laughs) That's the, you know, that's why I feel so bad. (laughs) I always, um, my friend has four cats and, um, one of the boy cats, she has two girls and two boys. And one of the boy cats is in love with one of the girl cats. And he Mm. tries to do that. And she always kicks him off. And I'm like, dude, no means no. (laughs) And he, but he gives you this sad, like, but I love her cry. And it's like, I know, but she doesn't love you. So just deal. (laughs) Yeah. The vet told us that it was just a dominance thing. And I'm like, I suppose, but you know, cause they, even though they're in the same house, they they have their own territories where, um, like you know, there's times when Gus will chase Ollie out of out of his room, and Ollie will chase Gus out of his room, and um, they eat in separate places. So, but you know, but they get along. Like they, you know, like they're right now they're about ten feet apart, sleeping, and so it's not that they hate each other. It's really weird. Well, I mean, if you support Amber's Patreon, then you will see all the lovely, fantastical <laughs> adventures, by the way. So thank you, you will for that. See, you will see how close that they are to each other. And I don't believe there are any humping episodes that I saw. So No, no. Haven't written that in yet. <laughs> There's a lot of dead things, though, this year. No, no, no sex capades, but a lot of dead stuff going on. Yes, a lot of bones find it found in the woods. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's kind of like a you know CSI um, episode, which is you know pretty awesome. So it is, I think so. And one of well, one of the bodies was stolen completely, and then a head that was dropped off here, the head was stolen completely. So I was bummed because I was trying to keep that head. Um. I just wanted like the bugs and the nature birds and stuff to take care of it and get it pretty clean. Clean it up. Yeah. So that then I could clean the bones. Um, But man, those vultures took the whole head. So I do have most of the original, the first find. So um, I'm trying to keep that under some chicken wire and they pull it out. They're like, no, no, no. We'll, We'll outsmart you human. Yeah. And they do. I mean, Birds got to eat. True. I just, I don't want them to get hurt. You know, it's chicken wire. So I don't want, I don't want the vultures to, to be injured in the process. But it's like, I, you know, the, the holes of the wire are really big. So I thought they could reach through and pull off whatever they wanted and do it safely. But then, you know, I'll find the skull like in the middle of the trail and I'll have to go put it back. And the legs will be like spread across, and I'll we'll have to put those back. The vultures are trying to give you a message. They your really message. are. Yeah, they're. I think they're. They were somewhat happy. The one was so cool. It just like circled around and then actually landed on a branch because I always see them, you know, by their whatever they're eating. 
Um, so if they're not circling, they're down by a carcass. But this one came up on a branch and was just like watching me and Gus in the yard. And I was like, you better be careful, buddy. You better move or he's going to think you're dinner. Yeah. <laughs> I took, my mom's got a, I mean, she's not a small dog, but she's smaller. She's only about like 17 pounds. And she has turkey vultures circling in her area down. Um, she lives near the shore. And I always told her, I was like, you know, whenever Lily is really bad, someday a turkey vulture is going to come down in the yard and just grab her and take her. Yeah. I mean, because the hawks, too, they'll circle around and I'll be like, Gus, you got to watch it, man. Yeah. They're looking. They're looking at you. Oh, Um, yeah. There are hawks that fly and take squirrels in my yard. Yeah. I think that's what happened to the squirrel that um, I, I don't know if a bird was the one who killed it. Um, but I think a bird might've been the one to then take the body because we do have a cat roaming around here that looks a lot like Gus. And I thought, well, even if that cat's instincts were to kill something, I think it kind of probably would have wanted to eat. Especially if it's feral. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on or it might just be getting fed by someone else in town and maybe it's not hungry so i'm not really sure what happened but this you know then the squirrel was turned into a a squirrel pyre so it um along with other there's now squirrel vampires around (laughs) yes that's what i think happened because there were two squirrel bodies and then they were gone i don't know you've got like all these crazy adventures whereas i live in the suburbs (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't have nearly as many important things. I have I have the neighbors who let their uh their pool go turn into um it literally looked like swamp thing. Swamp, yeah. Mm. And I remember over the summer it went from, you know, normal looking pool to mountain dew to swamp <laughs> to mud. And I was oh. like, I don't know what's in there, but and then and then one day, the guy, the neighbor, literally just took out the chainsaw and just <laughs> yeah, chainsawed it. Yeah, the, like whatever you got to do, man. Yeah, there there used to be a pool next door to us too, and at one point, a tree was growing through the bottom, and <laughs> so the people that moved in, they just they filled it in and put a put blacktop over it, so it's a basketball court. That makes sense. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, so so we we do get our share of weird out here. Um, Makes for good stories, though. It it does. I I hope, and um, you know, we'll keep them going as long as we can. And well, you remember the sto- when we were at the Jersey Con, we talked about that story about like the the dark forest. Which dark forest? Um, there was a story that we were chatting about because I was talking about the Black Forest in Germany and how like, oh, yes. apparently like it's so like the the foliage on the floor of the forest is so thick that it's like a carpet that like everything is like so silent. Yeah. And like you could like kill somebody and you wouldn't even hear it because it's so silent in the Black Forest. So we were talking about that kind of thing because you've got like this crazy, you know, forest around you you know wilderness around you yeah and I would you know Gus and I in particular would love to own it um but it's not for sale yet but yet yet 
but I don't know. I keep being told, no, it's not in the, not possible, but you know, but Gus loves it. So as long as we're allowed to roam, um, to roam, he's going to enjoy it. I feel bad though, that the parks are closed right now because other people who don't have this kind of backyard, yeah, are, you know, they have nowhere to just go and enjoy some fresh air. And as, that is one thing that I disagree with about Murphy is I do think the parks should be open as long as people stay away from each other. Well, I think that because he's been seeing what's going on in New York where people aren't staying away from each other, I think that right. might be why. But no, I do agree. Like having a park open would help. Um, I went, I walked around my neighborhood um, about a week ago and it was, you know, people were in their driveway, like washing their car, but then I'm like not walking on the sidewalk. I'm now walking literally in the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, very few cars are out. So I'm just kind of like, ah, it's fine. Nobody's going to hit me. And if they do free money, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not that dumb. I think, you know, I- I'm pretty sure that that would hurt. Yeah. So, yeah. I got run over by Alexis. <laughs> Mercedes come and hit me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if anybody drives like expensive cars in my, in my neighborhood. Cause we're all pretty, you know, you know, normal people. Like I live in, in the section, I live in a pretty big town and I live in the section of town where it's like all the normal people. And then the Northern section of the town is like with the giant, giant houses and everything. And the people with the yeah. Lexus and Mercedes, but like my neighbors are all like, you know, everyday people who, you know, work and, you know, I've got like, dentist's assistant and you know a dude who works at the the cabinet making place down the street you know we're all normal yeah ours is a real mixed bag here too so it's like we have the the the, you know regular low middle class people and then in the same district there's eight million dollar houses oh that's nice yeah it's (laughs) you know it's just weird um so and and Every vehicle, if you have a vehicle that can't be heard, you stand out for being quiet because otherwise I'm on this road and it's just loud truck, loud truck, loud truck, loud car, loud truck, loud truck, bigger loud truck. And they, it's not even like, oh, there's something wrong with the car and you just need to go get it fixed. Like these are things that they're doing on purpose. Yeah, it's loud to be obnoxious. The the mods. And it's like, dude, you're not a motorcycle. Like I get it. It's a nice day. I expect 20 bikers to go by. It's annoying, but I expect it. And, you know, motorcycles are loud on purpose so that you know that they're coming. But the cars and the pickup trucks, man, it's like, Dude, nobody's going to fucking miss you when, you you know, when you're changing lanes. Like, your headlights are literally blinding me in my rear view. It's, you know, like, there was that Supernatural episode, and I and it was, like, one of the best episodes where, like, this haunted pickup truck um, yes. was driving around. And, like, that's what I think of all the time because that's what it's like here. Um, so yeah, it's like, go loud or go home. We have a couple of people who 
have like the monster monster trucks like you need mm-hmm. like a ladder to get in yeah and I'm like yeah. why why yeah why do you need that in the city like why and I, and I sort of and I and I want to ask them like do you are you traversing a mountainside anytime soon because yeah. like I I can't even like what is the purpose like do you, is it just like I've got a big dick or I have a small mm-hmm. dick and I have to show I have a big dick mm-hmm. you know like and you know you're intimidating your neighbors like what is what is the purpose of this I don't get it's, it yeah like when I was 16 because I you know grew up out out here mostly you know and we had our demolition derbies and truck races and whatnot and so it was like a monster truck to me was the most appealing thing I was like yeah I'll take that over a car any day um but like they're not for being on the road and these people drive them like everyday vehicles racing up and down these streets and yeah. how, can, like, how it's are not they street legal? That. yeah like they're not but nothing ever happens to them because they True. don't check that stuff anymore at inspections here in, the, in new jersey like yeah. literally they check to see i think they don't even check emissions anymore i don't think what do they check? They check like one thing now. It used yeah. to be a 30 minute process checking to make sure your windshield wipers were were working and to make sure your headlights were working right and level. Um, they used to check your tires to make sure that not the air, the air pressure, but also the treads and like your windows had to be clear. And now like you go in, you get your sticker, you go out. Yeah. I mean, they check nothing for safety anymore. So, yeah, so you can have these big monster trucks and it's like nobody gives a shit. But, I mean, it's just it's really like meant for going over stuff. It's, you know, like you're just you're driving up Main Street, you know, like what are you doing? You need that to to go to, you know, church or something? (laughs) Well, yeah, you got to make a statement. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and then I get really mad when it wakes up the cat. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I can imagine people with babies that they have to put down and like, you you, you know, like that's, I, I feel for them. I'm like, you know, when you get that colicky baby and they finally went to sleep and then some asshole drives by <laughs> with these like dual yeah. exhaust pipes coming up the top. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. I could see, how, like, I, I tweet about it all the time that I want to get those spikes they have in parking garages. <laughs> And I want to roll them across the road and and have them just, like, keep putting them there. Hell yeah. I think I, think I would get in trouble, but I think I think about you would it. be I've, a superhero for a lot of I, people. I have looked them up. I have. I have looked them up for prices. I mean, that's how insane sometimes the sound gets to me. And it just, it drives me nuts. But so, I think you would legit be a superhero for that. Yeah. <clears throat> And it would make it safe because there are kids in the neighborhood, too. I mean, I almost like there was a dog that almost got hit because the dog, I felt so bad, like ran out this lady's front door and there's virtually no front yard. It's a couple of feet. And then a dump truck was coming. How this driver missed the dog is a miracle because there's no way he could have seen where the dog was. And it was a big dog. But somehow that dog just was dopey dogness and ran in front of it instead of running away from it. So uh, it was just, we both screamed like me and this lady screamed. Gus went running around. Luckily, thank God he, I let go of his leash and he ran to the back door of the house. So 
Um, and now he's awake and he's going to go hump Ollie. Look at that. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it was a damn miracle that that dog survived. I mean, that poor woman must have had a heart attack. How I would have too. Yeah. Oh, he's on his lamb. See, good boy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, Simon. I think Simon would be too afraid to do any of that. Simon's pretty much afraid of everything. Yeah. So he's he's more of the. I I picture him like Oracle in the Watchtower, like. <laughs> Like Simon's always by the laptop and, you know. Well, Simon's usually by the, uh, the heating register in my studio. <laughs> yeah. Um, if he could find a way to open it up and crawl inside the duct, he probably would. Like, I, I don't even know. Um, the biggest problem, though, is that his skin is getting dry because of it so much. Mm-hmm. So like, um, there's this stuff called bag bomb that, uh, I put on, it's like a lanolin, uh, almost like a, um, petroleum based, uh, cream. And, uh, so he'll be scratching and then he'll be drawing blood. So I'm like, okay, all right, we're going to be doing this and we're going to be putting this on. And he's like, I don't like it. And I'm like, well then stop scratching yourself. Like, you know, you have to teach them consequences, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause I was trying to click or train Gus and I don't think it's so much the clicker as the crinkly sound of the treat bag, ah. but whatever works and makes him come over to me is fine. But now Ollie has learned it. So I would be up here trying to practice with Gus and Ollie learned. So he's, he would, he would just like suddenly start peering into the door and I'm like, Oh, look who's visiting. And he'd be like, um, can I have some of that? that? You got that chicken? I want that chicken. Yeah, that chicken, <laughs> that chicken smells pretty good right now. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all crazy. Yeah. And speaking, speaking of these, like, silly animals and stuff, though, you don't have any animals in your new comic. I suppose we should be talking about that. But you don't have any cats in, in here, do you? I do not. I do not. And I thought about trying to find a way to get some cats in. But um, I, I couldn't think of a way to get cats in because I didn't want because when the main characters leave Earth and go to this other home world, I felt like I, I didn't want people to be like, so they're basically just abandoning their pet. Uh-huh. So I was like, all right, I'm, they're not going to have a pet. It's going to be OK. And we'll just figure it out. Um, if. I mean, I was talking to to my husband last night about going back to the story and doing a volume two. And maybe once I did that, then I could add more stuff in. But as of right now, yes, no cats in this one. But soon. Have you read Blackbird by um, Uh, Jen Bartel? Jen Bartel's, yeah. Um, I started it. It It is in my comiXology. Okay. Um, cause there is a cat character, I think named Sharpie. Cause he's, <laughs> and I was like, oh, you gotta, you, I'm like, you can tell what somebody in comics names a cat. Um, yeah. So Sharpie is a, a very special type of cat. Blackbird's and, a good book. Yeah. And also Monstress, I know has, has like, um, you know, the, the anthropomorphic animals okay. and stuff. Yeah. And, I haven't read that one yet. The art, art looks amazing, but I and haven't read it yet. Have you ever read Black's Ad? Yeah. That's just, so I it's mean, like that. Yeah. yeah. That was wild. 
Yeah, black sad is is not for everybody, but it is. It's like, oh, it looks like a Disney cartoon. This is not a Disney no. cartoon. <laughs> yeah. No, no. But and on a on a funnier take of anthropomorphizing is a book that's out now called Mr. Beaver, <laughs> and he's um, I don't know. He's like a like a badass rogue police detective beaver that works with the human police, okay. and he's just a beaver with guns. <laughs> So, um, Action Lab. <laughs> I will definitely have to look into that. Yeah. I couldn't wait for that to come out. I'm like, this I have to see. That, I mean, like, some of the some of the, the ideas that come out of comics, I mean, that's probably why I think it's, like, one of the best mediums ever. Because you can do, you know, you can do the craziest stuff in comics and just get away with it. Like people just sort of like shrug and go, huh, comics, you know, because if you think about like the, even the superhero comics, you know, you really break down like Superman or Batman or, you know, any of the characters, it's like, that's pretty absurd. Right. Right. Like a guy who throws up like a flag and throws a shield, it's kind of absurd, but Mm -hmm. it works. And one of the things that I always say to the students at the Kubert school is like, the reason why some of these things work is because they create an emotional connection between the audience and the character. And if you have that emotional connection, then you can do anything you want. You know, like you can right. do like Claire Connolly and I did a story about a lobster from space, but there was an right. emotional connection and everybody, everybody thought it was great. So like, as long as you have that in comics, you can do anything. And I, I think that that's pretty, you know, pretty amazing. Yeah. Her little butter people were amazing. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> French butter. Yes. The burr. Oh my God. Yeah. I, every time I work with Claire, it's something crazier and crazier. And she's probably one of the most um, open and talented artists. Like she will draw anything and she will enjoy it. And, you know, she's like the purest form of artist where it's like, I'll draw anything just because I want to draw, like I want to put pen to paper and just create. And I think that's, I mean, it's so wonderful that she, she has that, um, that, you know, drive just to create, you know, whether it's good, bad, crazy, whatever, I just want to create something. And I, I think that's amazing. Yeah. And just because it's silly doesn't mean it's not dramatic. Like a lot of the stories that she does, you know, they have this depth and sadness. Like um, when she works with you or Eric Grissom, some of those are just like, oh, stab me in the heart. Twist that knife. Onions Make Me Cry. She has a story called Onions Make Me Cry about a knight who is an onion. I mean, and you think like, that's bizarre. But I mean, these are really very heartfelt stories and you know like break a story down to its absolute utter base pieces what's it about it's about family it's about loss it's about longing it's about you know all these really very um internal sort of collective unconscious type things and then then you dress it up so you know onions make me cry it's about someone searching for who they really are okay uh, it just happens to be an onion as a knight, you know, but it could be anybody. It could be a cat. 
it could be a, a human, it could be a dragon, it could be anybody. The idea is just searching for yourself, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I think that that's why she gets it because she still has that base emotional um, point and it's just the characters are a little, you know, are a little wonky. Like you think of Shrek, right. you know, the idea behind Shrek was basically like, find, you know, finding out who you are and being happy and accepting that. It, you know, had talking donkeys and dragons and, you know, you know, crazy kinds of things like that. But the bottom line of the story was accepting who you are, you know? And when you get that, that's why you believe ogres and talking donkeys and dragons and everything, because you know, deep down, this is what it's about. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, across the different kinds of speculative fiction, you know, like, people uh, can romanticize things like the vampires and werewolves and stuff. But on the other hand, if you get into, I was really bummed that V wars got canceled. Um, But when you get into things like exploring the humanity of, of it and not just, Oh, it's a sexy vampire. I want to bang, you know, like, (laughs) like, like, no, there's a whole um, society. There's a, there's cultural, like, traditions they're finding themselves they're they're creating from scratch what their society is and their economy and um you know how they're going to survive and stuff like that so it's yeah it can be if it's done right i mean then again you know if you just want like silly popcorn stuff there's nothing wrong with that either so oh, right absolutely. now right now we need stupid brain candy sometimes right now oh yeah I right mean, now everybody needs like any type of escape and craziness. Um, So yeah, I, I get that. Um, But also having, you know, something that even has a bit of a meaning to it um, Mm -hmm. is, is, is always nice. Right. Um, I watched a terribly bad movie last night that I couldn't stop watching (laughs) (laughs) because Sean Ashmore was in it. Damn it. And he's amazing. Oh, Oh, wow. And it, and Milo Ventimiglia, um, and it's called Devil's Gate, and it's terrible, <laughs> and it's he's so good to watch. Um, it was it's basically like the the cheaper version of Signs by M Night Shyamalan. Okay. Um, so it's basically like if they didn't really have the budget for Signs for and <laughs> and made it in you know North Dakota instead of. <laughs> Bucks County, you know? <laughs> um, which is just awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because I was it was so funny because I on Twitter this morning, I saw um, one of the absolute darling people that I love to follow, Elemental Amber. She was talking about how she tried watching Ready Player One and it was so terrible. She turned it off. And I was, you know, I didn't even get the chance because I, I had um, my scheduled meditation to get to. Um, so I just, you know, wanted to end up chiming in and go, oh, yeah, I watched a movie, too. It was terrible, but for a whole different reason. You know, it was like good terrible. Well, isn't, um, what, isn't that what Shudder is all about? I don't know that one. Shudder is, uh, I want to say it's, it might be a streaming service um, that is 
It just has like B movies. B movies, like t- yeah, like B That's horror it. movies. Sounds about right. Yeah, um, this. I don't know why I felt like watching this, other than I guess when I saw that Sean Ashmore was in it, I was like, oh, let me give this a shot. It's called Devil's Gate. I will and have I was, to look at yeah, that one. Yeah. So, um, and I was just like playing my my silly puzzle games. We were talking about like Simon's Cat last time. Yes, yes. So I've downloaded a couple more puzzle games that to keep my brain occupied. And so I was just like playing my puzzle games and had that playing in the background. I'm like, God, this is weird and awful. It was sort of like, you know, like the the seasons of Buffy when like, you know, they didn't really have money for special effects. And um, but then there were certain effects that would be like, OK, you know, like they had they sunk all of their money into like this one creature. But the other creature you had to only show in the dark because it was like, you know, a duct tape and some pieces of silicone or something <laughs> exactly <laughs> it was um, so poorly done <clears throat> yeah um but i thought i was gonna have dreams about it all night and thank god i did not um but let's talk about forgotten home before yeah. before we forget and and run out yes of, of time there, there is definitely yes there is a book that i'm promoting <laughs> Yes, we actually do have comic book stuff. Um, yes, uh, Forgotten Home. It is a story about um, a woman who uh, leaves her, you know, other planetary home. So she's kind of an alien on this earth and makes a life on earth. And um, she flees her ho- her home because um, she doesn't want to be part of this sort of never-ending war that's been going on. Um and while she's on earth, she builds a life. She has a daughter. She um, becomes an off- a police officer and she starts investigating some child abductions. And what she realizes is that um, the chi- in her home world, she has magic and she still has magic on earth. But when she goes to investigate, she notices that there's residual uh, magic at these crime scenes for these child abductions. Um, and she realizes that uh, these children are being kidnapped and brought to her old home. So she has to sort of go home, confront the evil queen, all the people that she abandoned, and uh, things get kind of crazy. Yeah. And um, and th- it's a story that meant so much to you that you got the magical symbol tattooed, right? Yes, I do. I do. Um, this is how much I believe in this story. Uh, the royals have this flame birthmark um, uh, all over. So one of them has it on their ankle, another on their arm, one on their neck, one on their face, um, kind of like um, Jessica Cruz, the Green Lantern. Um, and I believe this much in the book that I had it tattooed on my forearm. Yeah. And it's, uh, and again, part it's of It's not that- small. <laughs> No, it's not small. Um, the The beauty of Forgotten Home is, I know you've got a massive team that works on it, but the the colors, um, I love colors in magical books, like Doctor Strange, yes. or like I said, Blackbird, um, uh, Gutter Magic is another one. The colors that these artists can do to make magic jump off the page is so incredible. Matt Emmons uh, is the colorist on uh, Forgotten Home and 
he was um, he was suggested to me by uh, Liana Kangas, who's another artist who I, I work with frequently. And um, Matt came in and he, you know, he had never really colored stuff more than, you know, his own work. So he came in and he said, uh, you know, all right, let's try and figure out like the look of this. And we went back and forth on a couple of things. But once we once we got it, he just really he took off and every issue looks better and better and better. Um, and I mean, it was a learning experience for him, but it was also a learning experience for me in the sense that like, I was fortunate enough to get somebody who was really green and to be able to sort of curate his work. And he was incredibly collaborative and, um, really open to suggestions and not one of these people who would be like, oh, well, this is how I drew it and that this is how I colored it and that's how it's going to be. You know, he was very, um, you know, very much open to, you know, yeah, I'm still learning. Please teach me stuff, um, which was awesome. Um, he's a terrific colorist. He's got his own book called Gardner. Um, and I, I really think he's going places. So in your scripts, do you get to the level of detail that... Um because I know, uh, and we'll get into the, the costumes and stuff, but did, did you get into the level of detail about, um, you know, a I don't know. I, I, I seriously don't know anything about the production process of comics. Mm -hmm. I leave that to people who are really in the know, but like when it's like the RGB or the hex color or, you know, the Pantone <laughs> color. I, I don't, you know, what I do is I'll, I'll give them, uh, we will go into like Pinterest boards and stuff and I'll give uh -huh. them inspiration um, for both um, the line artist, Marika Cresta and, uh, and the colorist. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't overly art direct anything. Um, I, I try and uh, I try and, and let them interpret the words into something uh, unless something is, you know, uh, a significant plot point and it needs to be seen or it needs to pop off the page, um, mm -hmm. then I'll just say, I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, clarify that in the script. Um, could we just make this a little more um, prominent? Because, you know, in the next issue, this is going to be a major plot point or something. Um, but I pretty much, you know, say, I, I trust you, your professionals, you know, give it a go. And I would say 98% of the time, everything is perfect or as close to perfect as you can get. Um, I don't say, you know, it has to be exactly this color or anything like that because um, I know that they know the feeling. They, they know the, the emotion that we're trying to convey. And um, they know that there's specific color palettes that will convey certain emotions, whether it is sadness or we're going in the past or um, joy, and things like that. Um, and, and I trust their instincts. That's great. And, um, and the same goes for the lettering, um, which you're obviously like an expert on, you get to teach. Um, <laughs> I do teach lettering. Yes. Um, that when there are boxes, like we mentioned the magical flame symbol, like sometimes they'll, you know, if the, to designate the narrator or the, you know, whose thoughts we're we're reading and stuff well you know the lettering has to be in 
like absolutely in sync with then the colors of like that person's usually like general outfit or something, something yeah. to let you know who's, you know, who's off panel and thinking these things. I, I give everyone access to everything. So um, any line work that any interior line work that Marika worked on, any of Matt's colors, um, any of the designs, my friend Yazelle Ayala, who's a fashion designer, designed um, a bunch of uh, the royal gowns and things like that. All of these materials, I throw in a Dropbox or a Pinterest and that everyone has access to. Um, I don't want anybody to have to chase anybody else down to maintain continuity. I want everybody to be able to look at the materials, to, to chime in on things, um, because it, it is 100% a collaborative process. And in order to make the book look cohesive, everybody needs to be on the same page. So from letterers to colors, to cover artists, to, to line artists, we all have access to the same um, Dropbox. Anybody can go in and look at stuff for reference. So if Natasha Altarici, who is the fantastic cover artist for all the single issues, if Natasha wants to do a cover with a character and she doesn't know what colors the character will be in, she can go into the Dropbox and find the interior art that's already been colored with the character and say, oh, this is this character's outfit. They have, you know, kind of like a blood red and a deep, you know, gunmetal gray. Okay, now I know that's what Trudera wears. Now I know this is what he has, you know, the basic shape of his face. Now I can go and put him on a cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, uh, it's funny because there was that, I don't know, I, I'm assuming it's true, but an old story about Jack Kirby having, um, I don't, was it Kirby? Um, who had like his character designs like pinned to the wall mm -hmm. and like sometimes they wouldn't even be consistent. <laughs> you know but you know and i think sometimes when when it's too much when it's one person doing everything yeah it tends to be like you tend to sort of almost like step on your own toes and i think that i mean which is why i like comics more than sort of novel writing because in novel writing um and i know you're a novelist so i mean mm -hmm. i don't even know how anybody does it uh, you know in novel writing it's just you and it's you and possibly your editor and you're just sort of like stuck doing everything. And in comics, you at least have the ability to bounce ideas off of other people. And not to say that novel writing is in an organic process, but I think because comics, um, you have other collaborators. I kind of feel like the organic process takes over more because your other people are bringing in, you know, um, um, ideas and stuff. Um, you know, I mean, this is, I'm dating myself by this, but, you, but you're familiar with the story of Stone Soup, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, this idea of everybody bringing something to the table. And um, whereas with, you know, novel writing, you don't really have that. And that's why, I mean, I think you and other people that are, that are, that, you know, you have the uh, Pharaoh, Farrah um, Weathers and and other people that have uh, novel series and stuff. I I can't imagine how you guys do it. So you know, kudos to you because I'm I rely on the other collaborators um, to sort of kickstart stuff. You know, whether well, it's the it's, editor or what, whoever. 
Yeah, you've got, um, like I said, it's a pretty big team and Marika Cresta doing, doing the art. But when I, I remember when I was talking to Joe Sinnott about um, inking, because mm-hmm. he's known as an inker, he's a brilliant artist altogether. Um, but he would talk about how he would have to make little corrections and, and you, you have to make it unnoticeable um, as an anchor. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just, you know, and I think about that, about how complicated with the, the teams are for, for comics that at any given point, like you said, something could be, um, you know, might slip through the cracks. Like one color might've been done the wrong shade or some, who knows it yeah. gets through once in a while. But, um, I think fans are just different now. I think they yeah. have, uh, like, I think back in Kirby's day, I don't think anybody would have cared if Cap's gloves were, you know, I don't know, red in one scene and blue in another scene. <laughs> like, yeah. I just don't think they would have cared. You know, the interesting thing is that it comes down to this idea of, um, you know, continuity errors happen constantly, but I always talk, and this is when I edit it, I always talk about, you know, does the idea, does the error take away from the narrative? You know, like if there's a continuity error where, you know, two people are arguing and in the next panel, someone grabs a, um, a letter opener and stabs the other person, you know, if the letter opener was never present in the scene then where'd this letter opener come from? That's something that you want to say, okay, add the letter opener on the desk and, you know, in mm-hmm. the wide shot when two people are arguing. But if it's something, unless it's a prop, which is something that a character is going to hold and use, you know, something like that is really, it doesn't hurt the narrative, you know? Um, and I think people want to get nitpicky. I think we've gotten to a place in this world where people want to feel like they know more than anybody else, which is why I think like ludicrous conspiracy theories about like the earth being flat and things like that <laughs> exactly are, are taking off so much more now um, because people want to feel like they have like secret knowledge and that's, you know, that is what it is, but you know, don't come, you know, people who want to criticize comics for something as innocuous as, you know, caps gloves being blue instead of red in a, in a panel you know, well, you have no idea what that colorist, like the pressure that that colorist was under. You know, you can sit in your armchair quarterback kind of thing, but you have no idea what that colorist was doing and, you know, the process of making comics. And it is a high pressure kind of thing to make deadlines, you know, and it's to a certain extent, it's almost like working for a newspaper. Like you have deadlines, you have to go to print you have to have, uh, you know, be online at a certain time and it's, it's deadline driven. And, you know, if you make a mistake by making caps gloves blue, then, oh, well, you know, it's not going to change the narrative of the story. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really key thing. Um, you know, even in novels, I've found mistakes, um, where the wrong character name, will be referenced. Mm -hmm. And so one time I, I sent a message, you know, DM, mind you, not blasting, (laughs) but DM to the author and, um, and said, Oh, is this something that I could let your 
your publisher knows that during the next um, printing, it gets corrected. And she's like, honestly, no, by the time something's in paperback, there's no changing it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, no problem. But I mean, you think about the craziness that the author was under to get everything done in time, you know? I mean, it's like, it's nuts. And it's, and even still, I mean, like, and you did it the right way by privately, <clears throat> excuse me, by privately saying something versus people who will go on social media, tag you in the social media post and start like, you know, trashing you, you know, for something stupid like, oh, so-and-so's shirt was colored the wrong way. Okay. And did that totally destroy your reading experience? Because if it did, then I'm sorry. But you obviously, if that destroyed your reading experience, then you obviously weren't invested in it. Because if you were invested in it, then that's something that you just be like, oh, whatever, the the shirt's the wrong color. And just keep going. The story is going to, you're so invested in the story that that's something so innocuous that it's not going to, 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 you know, pull you out of the moment. Um, yeah, I love, I love even when I'm watching, you know, movies and TV and sometimes like so other people are so good. They'd be like that great person to have on set that when you have to like do 15 retakes of a scene that they make sure, oh, make sure that you're holding your water bottle in this hand and your cigarette in this hand and make sure that your umbrella is open, not closed. You know, like I, I, whenever I find one of those mistakes, I'm so proud of myself for noticing because I'm like, otherwise I'm, I think of myself as the worst detective ever. Oh, (laughs) you literally have a blog that is, that you are, you know, the cat wrangling detective. So you're not the worst detective, (laughs) but yeah, like the line producer, like that's their job. But even still, I mean, even when they do a really good job, it's still like things fall through the cracks and that is life. You know, I, I heard, um, I don't, I have no idea if this is true, but I, I heard, um, that, you know, when certain, um, rugs are made, uh, what I believe they're like, uh, weaved in the Middle East. And I heard that if the rug is too perfect, that they actually go in and make a couple of mistakes on purpose. Mm -hmm. Just, I think I've heard that. Yeah. Just so it's not too perfect because then it feels like a machine did it as opposed to a human being. And, and that's true. I mean, humans are going to make mistakes. We are not infallible. And if you want something that's super perfect, well, guess what? There's already a robot that's writing movies. So (laughs) go, go watch those movies that the robots, that the robots writing and hopefully it'll be perfect for you because, you know, we're going to, and and it's always to be perfectly honest it's always the people that have nothing to do with the the industry have never created things like this before that are the ones that are the first to criticize and that's what really gets me like you know i to a certain extent i'll turn around and i'll you know say privately to my husband oh this there was a mistake in this movie or blah 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 but i'm not going online and you know shouting at some you know some director being like, you screwed up my childhood. You're an awful (laughs) human being or anything like that. No, if it's something that I didn't like, I didn't like it for whatever reason. I didn't like it. And that's fine. Um, I just think that everybody has a voice and that's great. 
to a certain extent because there are a lot of people who haven't had a voice since, you know, since the internet. But I think that some people are just too, um, uh, they they like to just, you know, blast people for no reason and use it for a negative purpose versus, you know, using it to engage with. They love to troll Gail Simone. Oh, God. It's like they, they spend their time and effort and energy. Like, it's unbelievable. I, you know, and I give Gail <laughs> mad props for. I know her sense of humor is for, so dry. They don't get it. Yeah, I give her mad props for that because I would not have the same patience um, as Gail has, I would just yeah. like, I, I just like, if I see one of these idiots engaging with Gail, I'm like, I'm just going to block them. I'm just going to block them. Gail, I mean, you have way more patience than I do. And God bless you for that. Because I can't deal with that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, you know She's what? Insane. I'm like, you know what? I don't need this in my life. I don't need this. And you obviously don't even get that it's a joke. Like right. that's the that's the thing to me. It's like you have no idea that this is that she's just totally trolling you. Uh, I don't know. That, <laughs> some people just don't get it. And all right, fine. But if you're losing the argument, you know, quit while you're ahead, buddy. So let's, uh, we were, we tapped into it a little bit though, where you mentioned deadlines and how yes. sometimes, you know, it's just hard to crunch through this. Now, in the case of something creator owned or depending on how somebody's career is, they might only be working on one project, um, especially if you're somebody, I don't know, like Jeff Lemire, where you do everything. Yeah. Um, or you might have, you know, like, the kind of deadlines that Marvel needs versus, you know, your own uh, creator-owned work. But this, you're still publishing Forgotten Home through a big outlet, through Comixology's Originals. You know, it's a fairly new, like, thing. And you're, like, one of the flagship creators here. Yeah, I mean, and there are deadlines for that. Okay. So, yeah, I do, I do still have deadlines. I know with a lot of creator-owned work, especially if you're publishing it yourself, um, they tend to be, um, you tend to sort of have self-imposed deadlines. And even those I try and be very uh, cognizant of, and I try and make sure that I hit those as well, because I like being on a schedule. And if it's supposed to be a monthly book, I want to be on a monthly schedule, um, even if it's my own stuff. Um, but yeah, with, with Comixology, I mean, it is a monthly book. It is a monthly schedule. So um I, I sort of have to make sure that everybody, I mean, we, we actually just wrapped, um, on issue eight. So, um, and everyone did a terrific job, but I have to kind of make sure that, you know, everybody gets their colors in on this specific date and they, you know, I, I'm able to get this to, you know, Natasha to do the cover for the next issue and, you know, all this other stuff. And, um, I'm putting, I'm helping put the book together. So, you know, I need to get the files so then I can put things together and start making PDFs and send them out and upload and, you know, so it is, it is a deadline driven kind of thing. Um, part of me kind of wishes that, uh, I had paced this as like a graphic novel. So I'd have sort of more time, but at the same time, it's like, you don't want to drop a 200 plus page graphic novel on people. So, um, you know, pacing it out for, uh, four chapters, you know, and, uh, and doing it, um, as a monthly works, 
So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy the monthly schedule cause it, it, you know, keeps you honest kind of thing. Um, right. and I'm, I'm currently working on another book that, um, hasn't been announced yet. It was supposed to be announced, but now that, you know, diamond has imploded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not going to be announced yet. Hopefully it'll be announced <clears throat> for New York comic-con. Um, but that's on a monthly schedule. So, and then I'm also editing for Mad Cave Studios, um, for another book, um, that, uh, again, hasn't been announced yet. Um, and I have to keep the team on that on a monthly schedule. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to keep everybody honest, trying to keep well, everybody you know, in line <laughs> while teaching two classes. Uh, well, actually I'm, <laughs> I'm teaching, I'm teaching, I teach two classes Mondays. I teach an online class in writing on Tuesdays. I teach two classes Wednesdays. Uh, I'm going to, and that's just with the Cupid school. And then the first three weeks of May are going to be, uh, are going to be trying because I'm going to be finishing up my Cubert school classes and starting the comics, uh, experience classes that I teach. So I'll be teaching three, two hour classes on Monday. I'll be oh teaching uh, a two hour class on Tuesday. Then I'll be teaching three, two hour classes on Wednesday. And yeah, my brain hurts. Yes. So this is, yeah. <laughs> so this is why we, you know, we, we talk about that deadline, you know, the deadlines might not be flexible, but your schedule has to be. Yeah. Um, because from week to week, it might be something different and you still have to hit those marks. Um, the life of sounds, a freelancer. The life of, yeah, it sounds interesting. Um, my, well, my weeks are absolute garbage right now. I can do whatever I want. Um, <laughs> I'm back to the way it was before I was working outside of the house when I just like was yeah, but a hermit. You're, but you're still teaching online. You're still teaching yeah. your yoga classes online. So you still have a schedule. Um, yeah, but I don't teach them like I don't I don't always do the live streaming. I only did the live streaming um, for the for the workshop, which was yoga okay. for depression and anxiety. Okay. Otherwise, I stick to recording, which then is a whole different ballgame because then I have to edit. Yeah. Um, and that so that can be time consuming. But um, but I just find it works a little bit easier because I can spend, you know, one day I could actually like make a one hour video and mm -hmm. then I can do the editing, which takes usually two to three times as long as the making of it. Yeah. So um, I can do that the following day um, because I'm not answering to a platform. I'm running my own YouTube channel. And that's, you know, that's the other thing. Like I'm, if I were to work through some other platform, it would, you know, I'd have to meet their expectations. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but you, you have the opportunity to sort of like make your own hours, which works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, and, it, and when I don't leave the house, it, it works around Gus and that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Absolutely. Um, um, you know, the weather plays a factor. And then when he wants to go exploring, you know, I put on my outside clothes and, <laughs> and he knows because when he sees the, the, the jeans come out instead of the comfy pants, <laughs> when he sees the jeans come out, he's like, oh, I know what this means. Well, I think it's awesome that he like grabs your hiking boots and starts like chewing yeah. on them and like dragging them. Like, come them. on, it's time yeah. to go. Yep. 
Ollie's crying right now. He's here. I don't know what he Oh, baby. Yeah. Ollie, dude, just sit in the tower, man. You're okay, Ollie. It'll be um, okay. So that's um so that's your wild quarantine. It's <laughs> still so busy. Yeah, um, I know. I I I didn't I I haven't really stopped. The only difference is I'm not leaving the house to go teach. I'm I'm like which I mean is good and bad because like my commute to the Kubert school was about an hour, so I would leave the house at like 6:30 in the morning two days a week. Um but I'm now doing I'm now, you know, going from my bedroom to my studio, which is literally right next to my bedroom. Um, but, you know, you brought up a good point about, you know, working around Gus's schedule. Simon has uh, kidney disease and he has to get an IV every other day. So we have to work around his schedule, too, because like whenever we would do conventions or even like conventions that are far away or something like that, like you have to think about, OK, this means he needs to get three doses of his IV for the week. So that means we've got to do like three days in a row for him to get his dose for the IV. And then we can get fly out for this convention and then we can come back. And the day we get back, he has to get another dose, you know, kind of thing. So it's like having pets, you know, really does affect your, your schedule. And, you know, it really is important to, to be cognizant of their needs as well, because, you know, you have, you have pets for emotional reasons and, you know, you don't want to be like, a one-way street of like, oh, you're my squishy, but then not take care of them. Do you know what I mean? Like not keep their emotional needs in check. Right. And that's, I really was worried about that with the quarantine that everybody's going out and adopting animals. And I'm like, oh, that's so great. But just realize how much time out of the home you really are going to need because, you know, depending on the animal, like you said, they, they could need you. Um, you know, dogs need to be walked and cats sometimes need special things. And yeah. Um, and, and they need, and they need the ability, they need attention. They need attention and they need, you know, like Simon for the most part will just sit in my studio and like in his bed next to my desk. And, but on occasion I'll be in the middle of teaching and all of a sudden I will feel somebody poking me in the butt because he stands, he he goes behind my chair and he goes up on his back feet and he starts like, you know, doing the, you know, scratching, but, um, whoever had him before us took his front nails out. So it's not scratching, but he's like scratching my back and my butt, like pet me, pet me. And I'll just sort of like in the middle of class, like lean over and start like petting him. And then he starts walking away. I'm like, I can't reach. (laughs) <laughs> like you have to come back if you st- yeah. and everybody's like what is she doing like all of a sudden I start leaning 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 off You're the, out of the frame <laughs> <laughs> and you just sort of like see one shoulder and like half of my ponytail and it's like yeah. come back here you know <laughs> um but I think it's the best both cats did um have their chance at the, at the live streaming um <laughs> when I when I was teaching on on Saturday um they were both in the in the yoga workshop at different times so well somebody said you know everybody wants you know when you're doing your uh your um 
whatchamacallit, your, you know, conf- video conference and stuff. Everybody yes. wants to see your cats. Everybody dogs. wants to see the pets. Yeah. Bring like, them out. It makes people happy. Yeah, exactly. Like don't, don't hide them. So in the middle of one of my classes, I just like picked him up and he does not like being picked up. So at like, I picked him up and I showed him on camera and it was some, it was so, it was because we all know that cats are kind of, you know, even as shy as they are, they're kind of egocentric. So like uh-huh. I'm holding him and he's kind of squirming. And then all of a sudden he starts hearing everybody go, oh, he's so handsome. He looks Aww. so sweet. And he literally stops squirming and starts like doing blue steel for the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you little shit. You know, I swear. So I told AJ about that. And he's like, this is perfect. Because he's, he's got to get it. He's got to get a bath this weekend. Oh. So, yeah. So, he's so photogenic, though. He's adorable. Just like, like Ollie. Ollie takes a great picture. He's very photogenic. And um, and that's why I've been doing on Twitter, I've been doing uh, hashtag Simon Says. And, yes. You know, getting Which photos. Which are great. And uh, I try and get photos with his mouth open. But yeah. I every time he starts talking, I never have the camera at the ready. So it's usually just like in the middle of a yawn shot. But it works. Uh, and, yeah. And Simon snores. <laughs> oh, my and... God. Yeah. Simon snores because he uh, – well, we both know Daryl Taylor, who's also a podcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and Daryl and yeah, I talk – Daryl. Daryl and I talk on the phone a lot. And in the middle of our phone conversations, I'll take off my earbuds and I'll put my mic down by Simon, who's snoring. And he's like – he snores like my grandfather sleeping on the couch. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. And, but that's, I mean, he's just a big cat who likes to snore and just, it's how life is. We just, this is quarantine is a new life. It is is for a lot of people. Like I said, this is just uh, the way that my life was before. Um, So I didn't have a big adjustment like other people, but um, it's, it's interesting for me to see how other people are freaking the hell out. And I'm like. I'm like, this is just, you know, I, I, it's very different. I don't know if it's, if it, it's not necessarily, I don't want to say type A people, but I think the constrictions maybe are, are breaking through those personality differences, like yes. that old introvert, extrovert thing um, and type A, type B where, you know, A meant that you were very rigid and you needed your schedule and you liked routines and, you know, very anal retentive and um, B was more of the creative side. And um, so it's interesting, like the people that I've seen who are artists usually are burning out and uh, stuck. And the people who really hadn't done anything artistically other than, you know, maybe in high school or something are breaking out things like, um, you know, crayons or watercolors Mm -hmm. or drawing. And they're actually trying their hand at things that are creative now when that was not part of their daily life. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's the, the shift in, in everything is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, everybody keeps saying that this is going to change us, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, this is going to change us, change how we look at things, uh, change how we, you know, feel about our families, feel about everything. And it's true. I mean, I, I mean, AJ and I mostly work from home anyway. So 
this isn't that big of a deal for us, but I know people that are like losing their minds and, yeah. it's, you know, and the biggest thing to me is, um, every other week I would get breakfast with my best friend who lives cross town and, you know, we would just, you know, sit for an hour and, you know, she'd complain about her kid and I'd complain about AJ and, <laughs> you know, and kind of thing. And we, we do that, but now we, we do that on the phone kind of thing um, versus, or we do it on text rather versus, you know, being able to sit down and have breakfast. Um, so for me, that's kind of like the biggest, like, oh, that kind of sucks, but it's not this catastrophic, you know, change. Um, whereas I know some people really cannot stand to be around their own families. <laughs> so. True. It's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you have uh, a marriage and one person travels a lot or is in the military or something like that, a lot of times the reason that they last is because you're not together. Yeah. You know, um, everyone has their own space and now we're yeah, sort of like space. forced to be like constantly in each other's faces kind of thing. I mean, and even as much as AJ and I, um, you know, work, you know, at home together, if we were still in our old place, we shared a tiny office. We shared like the tiny second bedroom was our office for the two of us. And to the point where if I rolled my chair back too much, I would hit his desk, you know, whereas now, I mean, we are so, and, and, I am so blessed. I really, really am. When we we bought a house last year, and I'm so blessed that now we actually have room. We each have our own separate small studios. Um, so we're not like right on top of each other. If we were still in our old place, our walls would be painted red with blood. Like we would, <laughs> we would kill each other because it would be, you know, because you know, we're both still under deadlines. We're both still so, sort of in some high stress situations. But I, I mean, this is why I don't understand that whole tiny house movement. Like for one person, I could see it being a cool thing, but to be with another person in one of those tiny house trolleys or caravans, whatever you want to call them, like that just, how do you not? I I don't know. I don't know how that works, to be honest. I think they must be people who really live like in in temperate climates where someone can go outside yeah like the whole outside is their space you know uh, as opposed to like when we're in the house and in a place like new jersey where it's like hey it's 30 degrees i'm not gonna spend eight hours outside (laughs) yeah i mean i i don't i can i would get tiny house that that movement if you were living in South Carolina, or like you said, a temperate climate, like I can get that. I don't understand um, this idea of, oh, I can totally do, you know, tiny house movement with living in 200 square feet with another person and it's snowing outside. Yeah. That that sounds like the makings of a horror movie. Yeah, like the next thriller, um, you know, absolutely. And it's but, not you know, that... It, the, the book opens and they're both dead. How did it happen? <laughs> That's your next book. That's <laughs> your go. next Pharaoh book right there. Yeah, there we um, go. I, you know, I, and 
it's not that the people dislike each other, to be honest. I mean, I've been no. with my husband almost 20 years. And I, I mean, there are times that I could kill him, but you know, um, he bakes so well. Yeah. But you know, I don't have a sweet tooth, so I'm not the one eating all the meats. The only thing that he makes, he makes like a kind of a savory scone that I love. Um, but you know, but even still, like, you know, like I said, if, if we were in that tiny apartment together still, like it would be really difficult because you're just literally just in each other's space constantly and even the best intentions you know you're still all there all the time that and how I don't understand like how are those things insulated I don't know like you could not have that in New Jersey like you couldn't go through a New Jersey winter in one of those things no I don't know how they're I mean because like we have a, a trailer and you know, it's only intended for summer. Like yeah. it does have an an air conditioning system and, and heating system or whatever. But, it, you know, you have to, I guess you have, I'm not sure what that runs. If there's, there might be a little propane setup. Um, but it's not something that I would want to be in. Because like, you know, Gus and I will pop in there. He'll look for mice or whatever. And... I'll be like, hmm, it's kind of chilly, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's cold in here. Um, how would you live in here? Like, do you have like 17 blankets and, yeah, really. you know, five pairs of socks on at all times? Yeah, because I, I don't know that they could have a fireplace in one of those. I mean... Yeah, it would burn the whole thing down. All, yeah, you would burn it all down. It's like... Like, think like one know. errant ember. Yeah. It's, and... And these people are always like, oh, and I only have two books. It's my two favorite oh, yes. books. I'm like, really? Come on. Really? Yeah. Come on. And you got to yeah. live in a place with good Wi-Fi. That's my other thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because we were without internet for a day and a half. Oh, because the- there was a storm this week. <laughs> First the power, the power went out and the, ca- the power came on quicker than the cable. And it was like, well, we have power. That's good. And it was... And I'd rather have that. That's way more important. But um, yeah, like I had no internet. We lost it, internet for like an hour and a half. And I thought there were going to be riots in the street. Our neighborhood lost internet. I thought they were going to start rioting in the street like pitchforks and torches. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, it, you know, it was one of those situations where supposedly each town has like some of the like a, a free public, mm-hmm. you know, spot that you can at least access if you have an account or whatever that wasn't even working and that's a a weak ass signal to begin with yeah but that wasn't working so it was you know it was definitely something that didn't it was outside on the wires they eventually came and found it um but yeah so it's like I was trying to figure out I'm like okay how do I turn my phone into a hot spot again like I did during Hurricane Sandy so that was for forever that was like three weeks um and, you know, thank God it was, uh, I, I heard, um, you know, the cable guy was outside and on top of the, the utility pole or something. And I think my dad was like yelling towards him from across the street, <laughs> like nicely yelling. I just mean, you know, staying away. Socially distanced. 
So yes, socially distanced across the street, which is how we used to do things like in where we used to live, which, you know, everything was closer and you just had like, you had a normal height fence Mm -hmm. normally between houses. And then before people started building these gigantic, tall fortress type fences. So, you know, from across the block, everybody just had these chain links fences and you could just like yell like down to you know my cousin's house or something in the well, it's backyard like that scene in rocky like hey paulie hey yeah hey, gonna be out of hell here for a bit yeah because he mm-hmm. didn't have a telephone <laughs> yeah and you just yelled for your kids to come home and that was yeah. it back, back in the back in the early 80s we're dating ourselves we are <laughs> we are but that's exactly what it was like exactly you always knew where your kids were because they were at one of three houses. Mm-hmm. And unless your kid is transporting through a magical portal. Uh, that is true. That is yeah. true. So, yeah. so we will get back to the book. Um. <laughs> yeah, sort of. I mean, we could. Yeah. So, um, um, there because are magical- we do want people to, to buy it. I we mean, do. well, you, ha- you have, um, you, you have what, 12 issues planned? and then- uh, No, it's eight. It's eight issues. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not technically oh, a maxi seat. It's not technically a maxi series. That means it's almost over. It is almost over. But um, yeah, there there are portals, which is which is how uh, Lorraine would get to Earth when um, when she was younger. She would sort of open these portals to Earth and sort of discover new things. Um, but there there are portals. There's a lot of magic. Um, I I set some very specific rules for the world because. Um, sometimes when you're dealing with magic, the idea is like, oh, hashtag magic, like anything can happen. Yeah, free for all. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of wanted to make there be rules. Um, you know, uh, the magic comes from this sort of crystal that is mined um, on Janata, which is uh, Lorraine's planet. And um, people who are royals, as she is, she has the, the uh, royal flame mark. Uh, people who are royals have magic throughout their whole lives, whereas the um, normal Janadans only have magic when they're children. So like you'd mentioned Red or Ready Player One, it's kind of, you know, a mo- like that kind of Ready Player One, like the army of children kind of thing. Um, and there is this terrible war that's been raging on for, uh, for hundreds of years between these uh, people called the Chalamban, which are kind of almost like these rock people that um, are resilient enough to mine the um the raw ore of this crystal and refine it and the janadans who are the more uh human-like uh lithe uh attractive people who are basically just benefiting from all of this so they have these beautiful cities and you know the the crystal the elysia is um powering their cities and everything and the fight is basically about um you know, it's, it's a fight for resources, which I mean, is kind of a human idea. You know, you think about over centuries, you know, people have fought over diamonds, over coal, over, uh, oil, you know, all these different things, you know, the fight for resources is the, is, is, uh, a consistent in kind of, you know, any place you are. Um, so a lot of the themes in this is a theme of family, you know, Lorraine wanting to get her daughter back um, and the theme of, you know, 
wherever you are, there will always be problems. Like, you know, Lorraine left Janata, came to Earth, thought everything was going to be perfectly fine. And there's still problems that are here that become her problems that she just thought, oh, everything's, you know, I'm just going to pick up and move and just recreate who I am. And, you know, well, guess what? Everybody's going to have problems no matter where you are. Because, you know, the problems are, aren't always everyone else. You know, sometimes the problem is within yourself and you can't move away from yourself. So you're always there. And um, so it, it has a lot to do with finding your true self, um, with finding your place in the world, whichever world you're in, um, family, uh, whether it is, you know, family by blood or family by bond. Um, and this idea of removing yourself from a situation that you think is going to make you a better person and then realize that it ends up, you know, making things worse, you know, best intentions. Um, so there really is a lot going on, uh, in the story in general. And, um, it's very complex. Um, and there are a lot more side characters than a lot of the other stories that I've done. And I think, I hope at least, I at least give everybody, um, their own little bits. I mean, you have your main core group, which is, uh, Queen Ronnie, um, who's the queen of Janata, Lorraine, who is our, our main protagonist and Lorraine's daughter, Joanna, you know, the, you know, grandmother, mother, daughter, those are our, our three main characters, but we have Joanna's former lover, Trader. Um, we have a, one of the, um, Chilumban, one of the, these rock people named Agal, who's sort of this warrior, um, who really wants to, to end this war. But if ending the war means he's got to fight and kill more, he will. Uh, we have his wife who is, who who originally was like kind of this throwaway character. And then I ended up really enjoying writing her and she's such a smart ass and she, but, and she just constantly chides him, you know? Yeah. She's really important. in I think it was issue six. <laughs> yes. She's very important yeah. in issue six. Um, and she, and she comes back to importance in, in the last issue uh, specifically. Um, but she, um, she kind of reminds, I kind of wrote her as my mother-in-law you know, because my mother-in-law would always like sort of tease my father-in-law and he would always take it in stride. But, you know, she'll like he there's a moment where she sees him and he has this cape and she's like, where did you get that cape? And he says, oh, I stole it from a soldier. She's like, you look ridiculous. You know, <laughs> but I mean, and it shows the, the, the relationship between them because you look at their physical being and they're just these like big, strong, like rock people. And you think, oh, well, they probably don't have any emotion. So I wanted to impart some emotion on them to say, yeah, they might look like these weird rock people, but they still have this, you know, great uh, back and forth. Um, they still have this great emotional connection that not only do they make to the other characters, but to each other. Um, and, and I really wanted to, to sort of punch that home. I wanted to give everybody a personality. Um, and I wanted to give everybody a motivation. Uh, there's a young man named Deco who's, uh, one of the child soldiers and he's probably about 14, 15 years old and he's very, very serious and he speaks very, uh, he has a very, um, proper cadence the way he speaks. Um, and you know, he's, he seems fiercely loyal to the queen. Um, 
But then when he's tested, you see he's got a bit of a, you know, oh, you you don't think that I can do it? Now I'm going to show you. You know, he 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 has a bit of a of a, a complex in the sense that, you know, he's always been perfect in everything that he does. So when somebody questions how he's going to do something, he's like, "Well, now it's time to pull out all the stops and show you I'm I'm even better than you think I am. I'm better than perfect." And he puts a lot of pressure on himself for that. Um, and his parents are very, um, his parents, Genshi and Vector, are very um, appreciative of him and his his role in general um, and and how loyal he is. But also they try and, and allow him to be a little more of a kid, but he doesn't allow himself. You know, yeah, that, and that's one of the story points, like you said, is these are children that are um, forced into being soldiers. Yeah. Um, and it's all for this battle over the, the crystal. Um, but this does really happen from time, you know. Oh, absolutely. We, we, you know, we hear about this and it's terrifying. Um you know, and even on a on a different kind of level than like an arms war, you hear about how drug dealers will recruit very small children mm-hmm. to be their like little neighborhood lookouts at first. And once they're a good lookout, then they might actually start um, carrying or get the drugs dumped on them because if they get caught, they don't go through the same punishment as somebody who's over 18. And, you know, these w- ways that people just... Um, abuse children in a these they're you know, a for economy for for economy yeah, yeah for um and it's just it, they're they had to grow up so like you said about um this particular character and it's like his parents are like so emotional and uh, and sad and he's just like this is my job yeah he's like you know, and it's like, no, you know, <laughs> he doesn't allow himself the, he doesn't allow himself the ability of emotion. And, you know, he, I, I, I tried to give everybody a bit of an arc, you know, obviously there are so many characters. I can't, I can't spend so much time with everybody, but I tried to give everyone an arc and he has, um, he has an arc and, and we will see a different side of him um, in book seven and eight. And, um, and he, he does, he is softer than, than we think he is. But at the same time, you know, there are, there are responsibilities that he has and he takes these responsibilities very, very seriously. Whereas on the opposite end, you have Joanna, who is Lorraine's daughter, who grew up on Earth, you know, as a typical Earth teenager coming there, not understanding that, you know, war is actual war. Like it's not playing a video game. This is legitimate. Like you will kill people. Yeah. And, And like she seems to be like, no, come on, bring it. And it's like. Do you really understand? Yeah. Her her concept of what war is, is so um, sanitized. And when she actually is standing on a battlefield, it hits her. And, and all of this, you know, confidence and pretense that she has just melts away. And it's like, oh, shit, are you 
Are you serious? Like, really? People are really going to kill each other. People are really going to kill each other in front of me. (gasps) You know, so she, she really, she comes in with this like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm the granddaughter of the queen and I got magic and I'm so cool. And then, you know, it really smacks her dead in the face of what's actually going to happen. And, um, and she, she has a hell of an arc, uh, you know, with this and, and, you know, she's a teenager who's a typical American teenager, which means, you know, she's going to have her ups and downs. She's going to have her emotional, um, upheaval. You know, we were both teenage girls. We know, you know, every morning is like, oh, yeah. life, life, it's so yes. dramatic. Uh, you know, it so is. she she has that, and you always want to be somewhere else. It's always greener on the other side, right? Exactly. And, and here she is, where she's a royal. Everything should be perfect. And yeah. oh, and so yet that her be- her best friend had the wits enough about her to say, "This is not my home." Exactly. And and was willing to go back to Earth, whereas normally the queen wouldn't allow that. But um, so. It's uh, it's fascinating because, again, like talking about how we could translate this magical world into things that really do happen when you were talking about the children being abducted and then like this one girl, um, I can't remember her name, Jessica. Jessica maybe, Gallagher. And she's just like, no, I don't want to go home. Yeah. She's like, you don't understand. This is better. And and yet, you know, here you have somebody with the mind of a police officer saying, but it's my job to take you back to your family. You were abducted. And she's like, hell no. <laughs> and I watch a lot of crime shows. And and it's just like, it, it's one of those things where sometimes that happens. And the police are in this predicament where they have to, they're like, okay, somebody's reported missing. And they're like, was the person really missing or did this person take off? Yeah. And you don't, you know, if you're the family left behind, you're angry and furious at that. But then, you know, when you see that there are cases of like, no, like this kid grew up being molested their whole life. And yeah, they're in another bad situation, but they're at least not with that person anymore. Like it's, it's interesting. So you worked it into a magical world in the same way of, you know, this real um, tragedy, just stuff that goes on and, and like, and magic might not fix it. Like you have this one character that I was really um, uh, intrigued by Car- Carol or Carol, Car- How do you Carol. Say Carol, Carol. So uh, when he comes in and he's magical, right? Well, when he's younger, he's magical. Okay. So, um, what and you like you said all magical stories have to have rules yes um and so at a certain point when he's injured it's not a matter of we're gonna wave a wand and you're gonna just be healed like on um on supergirl they just go to the medical bay (laughs) and they might sleep for 24 hours or so and then they wake up and they're fine (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, they have super healing powers from the the radiation from the yellow sun. So it's like, but, you know, in other instances, it's like, well, even magic is not going to save you at this point. Yeah. And you you see that it's not the magical beings that actually save Carol. You know, it's, you know, Carol's left for dead on the uh, on the battlefield. 
and his enemies help him and his yeah. and, and his enemies help him and it's it's actually Bishek and Zagal that take him in and when we when we see Carol again you know as an adult now um we see that he doesn't he's not perfectly fine i mean he right. had to have an amputated leg he's got a large scar on his face one you know one of his eyes doesn't work properly and he has this prosthetic leg that is a stone leg because the people that took him in were the people that are made of stone. Right. So it's, you know, it wasn't, even though this crystal can do so much, which we see in this same, uh, I think it, it might be the same issue that went after it, where we see when um, the rain gets a heavy dose of yeah. crystal, um, it's, you know, could that have saved Carol and his whole leg if he had been given it in time? I don't know. And Well, I don't think it could have because based on the rules, um, you know, the it, it can't regrow limbs. Mm -hmm. Basically, what the crystal does is for the children who are not royals, royals are, are born with magic. The crystal augments their magic, but they have it innately. Um, the reason why Rani is taking children from Earth is because so many children are dying in this war that even even Earth children um, do have some semblance of magic when brought when exposed to the crystal, um, which is why uh, you know uh, Jessica Gallagher and Seth Wasuda and and the other kids. Although some kids don't take to it very well, some kids get paranoid. Some kids don't feel right. Uh, some kids go a little crazy like Tyler Baird. Um, and they, which is one of the reasons why you had mentioned Mika, who is um, uh, Joanna's best friend, which was one of the reasons why Mika wanted to go home. She felt uneasy. Um, she, you know, just being around the queen, the queen is like, basically, you know, her clothes basically have the crystal just being around her she's exposed to it and she's like this, I don't feel right here. I have to go home, you know? And, um, so you can't regrow limbs, but if you are a Royal, it will help. Um, it will help augment your powers. And because Lorraine had been away from Janata for so many years, she had, um, she didn't lose her, her abilities, but she lost her sort of her focus and her strength. So that's why they needed to expose her to the crystal to be able to, you know, bring her powers back to full force. And as we see, nothing actually goes perfectly to plan. Um, that's that's kind of the 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 another theme in this story is that you know the best laid plans. You know, right. nothing ever goes perfectly to plan, and um, you sort of have to make do with, you know, the results of you know, of the gambit that you take. So. Well, I have to say, and, uh, and so far only the Patreon backers n know this, but I, we had the Ringo nominations, the Ringo mm -hmm. award nominations coming out. So I did nominate Queen Ronnie as oh, thank best you. villain, best villain. I thought. <laughs> I was like, you know, that was a good category. Like n you don't really get to think about that in, in the awards um, categories so much. Um, not when it comes to comics, you know, you go through your, you know, favorite cover and, you know, favorite artist and favorite writer and stuff like that. And, and it, I was like, oh, they've actually asked, um, you know, for, for favorite hero and favorite villain. 
so yeah she's she's definitely a complex character and um she she has her own issues um that's why i mean like i would really love to go back to the story and and flesh things out more um and start talking about you know what happened before um uh, before all the, the, you know, Lorraine sort of comes into, into play, you know, we see, you know, one generation or rather two generations of a story versus, um, all these, you know, thousands of years before this. So I, I'd love to sort of go back and, and see other things and then as well, you know, continue the story from, from where it ended. Um, so we'll see. I know Marika is working on Dr. Afra for Marvel right now. Um, and I really don't want to work on, I mean, her line work is so gorgeous. I mean, I, I was so blessed with this art team between Marika and Matt. And um, we had a couple of color assistants on it and um, and Yazelle and Kevin Meyer, who did the terrific logo. Um, I was really blessed with this art team. And if we do it, you know, we go back to this story, I'd like to at least um, bring some, if not the whole art team back together, because um, it would be, I mean, it wouldn't be the same without them. Yeah, that would be very sweet. Yeah. Um, obviously, you do, you know, you're, it's like it happens, life of freelance, like you said. Exactly. Somebody might be committed somewhere else, and it's like, okay, it, you know, you got to change. But um, you always find top quality people, though. I, I try. I mean, I think one of the things that I, that I always try and tell like new writers is, you know, Talk to before you you sign a contract with an artist. Talk to the artist and tell the artist what the story's about. Not like, oh, this happens and this happens. No, what is the story about? This story is about a mother trying to find her kidnapped daughter and trying to mend the relationship that they have. Because there is a lot. One of the reasons why Joanna is kind of like, oh, well, I'm gonna like I'm gonna stay in Janata because it's a lot cooler than Montana, is because Joanna does have a lot of resentment towards Lorraine. You know, Lorena's Lorena's right. kept a lot of secrets toward her. You know, she hasn't told her about, you know, where they come from and everything. She's allowed her to use her magic to a certain extent and taught her to use it to a certain extent, but not really given her any context and given her any rules with it. Um, because Lorraine has a very contentious relationship with her own past. So um, I think that you know, playing on that resentment um, helps to create a more realistic kind of view of everything. And, you know, teenagers resent their parents for all kinds of reasons. You know, this idea of you don't know everything, mom, you don't understand. At the same time, you're the one making all the rules. You know, teenagers feel like they have zero control in their lives. So right. when these teenagers are being brought from earth and being brought to Janata, they're told here, now you have fantastical powers and you can use them how you want. And it's like, Whoa. Kill people. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> it's, it's, you can use them as you want, as long as you know that you're going to have to go to war. Yeah. So like, that's the, that's the kicker. And, and, you know, nobody that young really thinks about consequences. I mean, we were right. all young and dumb and we don't think about consequences. So this idea of like, 
like Joanna, oh my God, I'm here. I'm a royal. This is awesome. Yes, you're here. You have all these wonderful things. You get to literally live in a palace. But this is one of the consequences of that. You're going to have to lead an army of children and teenagers in an actual war killing people. You know, that's that's a big trade-off. It is. You know it what is. I mean? I mean, and it's, and it's tempting because you're just like, hmm, magic and, you know... Like you said, there's there's a distancing, especially for these kids who are raised in uh, in America anyway, mm-hmm. um, where they're not faced with war. It's not something you know they're seeing things maybe through video games, yeah, or or movies or something. They're not, they're, you know, these aren't Syrian kids <laughs> that are being abducted, and um, so to dangle this carrot for them. they just aren't going to understand. And when they do, when it is presented to them, it's so confusing and it's unbelievable. So it's like, no, it's not going to be that bad. Yeah. And then when it actually is, it's, oh, crap. I want to get out of here. You know, and that's kind of like the first thing that that hits is like oh my god i i gotta go i gotta go okay i gotta go and it's like (laughs) nope you can't you can't the queen says so exactly and and that's one of the things that lorraine actually you know says to her daughter she says you know you think that everything's great well guess what you know you thought that i was controlling you when we were back on earth, well, grandma's controlling you now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you, yeah, grandma's just like, you know, you only think you are experiencing freedom. Yeah. But you're not. So, so that's like the really, that's the really tough thing. And, um, and, you know, we, we all make mistakes as, as kids. We're, we're all, you know, idiots with zero consequence. Like I get that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, this is literally a life and death situation. So. Well, before I let you go, um, I did want to ask about how, since you had mentioned, you know, diamond shutting down Mm -hmm. and this is, this is a comicsology story. Um, were there plans to print it? How, you know, like how have you been affected or have sales been great because it's digital so people can access it? Um, sales have been very good, um, you know, th- and, and thank you to everyone who is, you know, downloading the book and, um, and giving it a read. Uh, sales have been good because I think that uh, it's also available on Comixology Unlimited. And a lot of people have unlimited where you pay like a monthly fee or a yearly fee and you can read everything. You know, um, you, if you don't have unlimited, you can still buy each individual issue. Um, there hopefully will be a plan to print the, um, the trade paperback. Um, you can also get the trade, you can pre-order the trade paperback on Comixology. Um, but there will be a plan with luck to print the trade paperback. Um, and the cover for the trade paperback is, uh, actually being done by Bill Sienkiewicz, who I adore and yeah, I, know. <laughs> um, I love Bill and I've been very, very lucky. Um, 
I met Bill many, many years ago, and he has always been a champion for my career um, and has always been incredibly supportive um, of me, not just as a person, as a friend, but as a creator. And, um, you know, to have him sort of, you know, give, you know, put put his time and talent and skill behind any one of my projects um, is fantastic because uh, we talked about 12 Devils Dancing last time I was on the show and he did the cover for the trade paperback for 12 Devils too, um, which was fantastic. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. That's great. Um, yeah. So comics are a little bit different right now. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen when it's over. I, I, I don't know if anybody does. I, I'm not an economist. I can't, I can't tell you. Um, but as far as fans and creators go, we have certain outlets. We don't have conventions right now, but there's a lot of like online convention things happening that I saw um, coming up into my emails and stuff like little virtual cons somehow. Well, they're also doing, um, <clears throat> excuse me. They're also doing where um, they're doing like zoom meetings or like Google meet meetings where people are having like panels, which is cool. Yeah. Stuff like that. And, and some of the stuff is like auction fundraiser related, right. which um, is very helpful. So um, hang in there. It's tried, tried advice, but I mean it. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I can't wait to see what comes next. Well, hopefully everybody likes it. Um, I, I do want to say that uh, I do have a, an auction up for uh, hashtag creators for um, creators for comics. Um, it goes until April 20th. And okay. it is, uh, I have eight trade paperbacks. Uh, the starting bid was $50, um, and you would get Strange Tales, the trade paperback. You would get the entire run of Charmed that I worked on with Mariela Orasanapo, uh, the trade paperback. Uh, the entire run of Xena that I did with Vicente Cifuentes. Uh, the entire run, all 12 issues of M3 uh, in four small trade paperbacks with uh, Vicente Alcazar. Um, and... Uh, and 12 Devils Dancing with Dave Acosta. So eight trade paperbacks. It's over uh, 600 pages worth of comics, and it's over $100 retail. Um, but it is uh, for hashtag creators for comics. It is a, a bidding right now, and uh, the bid started at $50. So I got a bid for 50 bucks. So if you want to outbid somebody, feel free. Um, I am on Twitter at Erica Schultz 42 very nice. Um, well, that's great. And I could honestly keep talking because I would want to nitpick and talk about like the details of the outfits and everything in this book. But I will let you go because you are super busy. Uh, too, why do I have to be so busy? <laughs> and the cat is staring at me. So and the cat is waiting. Which one, Ollie or, or Gus? This is Gus. Gus woke up. So he's uh, he's like, okay, let's go. It's, it's time. It's his time. Um, but thank you so much. Thanks um, for having this is me. like, this is like a double episode and I love it. Um, and, 
Uh, so yeah, so people can follow you on Twitter, anywhere else that you want them to know about? Um, well, I am at Erica Schultz 42 on um, Instagram. That's like basically all the cat posts. And then at Erica Schultz writes W-R-I-T-E-S uh, on Instagram. And that's pretty much all my Kubert school posts and um, posts about uh, different books coming up. So Forgotten Home is available on Comixology, all digital. Uh, six issues are out right now. Issue seven comes out April 29th. And the last issue, issue eight, comes out on May 27th. Um, the trade paperback uh, should be available in June. And that will have all eight issues plus some really awesome back matter uh, that I think people will really like, especially the original uh, fashion designs from Yazel Ayala of um, mm -hmm. all the beautiful gowns that everyone wears. Great. Um, thank you so much. And you guys can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. You can support the show at patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked, where, again, we also get uh, more information about the cat detectives. <laughs> And um, everything else, and including once those stories are, are up for a week, then they get unlocked for everybody. So they're at amberunmask.com, along with the other blog information, like book reviews, um, uh, some comic industry stuff, and whatever else I, I end up growing up about. there. Yeah. yeah, it's all up there. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening. And cheers. thank you for having me.